Morning, everyone. So, it's been a bit of a tough week, really, preparing this talk. Um, pr probably, I would say, it's not an under understatement to say that this is uh, the, the hardest talk that I've, um, that I've had to prepare, and, and mainly it's because of the challenge. I mean, you only really have to look at the title, Deny Yourself, Take Up Your Cross and Follow Me. And uh, it, it's a fairly challenging section of scripture that, that, we're, that we're looking at. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, been, that's been trying for me. And I, I hope that um, if you receive challenge this morning in what I'm saying, and I, I kind of expect that you will, um, that, that you're not alone in that, that I, I will join the club too, um, because, because I, I feel the cha challenge keenly um, from what, we've, what we're looking at this morning. Let me set the scene for you because it's important that you understand the context of this passage before we go and look at it in a bit more detail. If you go back in the Bible, um, maybe one or two paragraphs, um, what we see is that the Bible says that Jesus began to speak about how he was going to die, that uh, the Jews were going to hand him over to the Romans, that he was going to be uh, killed, uh, and then three days later he was going to rise again. And then... Um, Peter, in his infinite wisdom, decides that he, he, this, this isn't going well. Like, this isn't the, result, uh, the, the, the role of the Messiah. It's not going to build his troops up. Um, and so he, he decides to go and rebuke Jesus. There's, there's the, uh, the, the bad word, rebuke Jesus. You know, if you see those two words together, you know someone's made a grave mistake. Um, <laughs> So, so Peter decides he's going to rebuke Jesus, and he's going to say, what are you doing? You can't say things like that. Um, and Jesus very famously turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of things of, of man, not the things of God. Um, and then immediately after that, this is the passage that, that, that Janet reads. And, and, and the Bible says that after, after saying that to Peter, he drew the crowds to him, and he drew his disciples to him, and he lays it out for them. And, and we heard the passage that, that, that Janet read. So this is for all of us. This, this isn't exclusive to some disciples or to one person, individual. It draws the whole crowd to him and says, this is it for everyone. Um, and we have to understand that context uh, as, as we look at what we're looking at this morning. And so I'm going to start by telling you a couple of stories. Um, first one happened about a week ago. Um, and I was on the phone to uh, my, my boss. Uh, I'd just come back from work. Many of you know that we've recently moved house. And uh, he was asking me how, how the move's gone and how, how are we doing as a family. Um, and I explained to him that, um, that the Sunday that had just gone, it was really, really good because we, we rest on Sunday. We take time out uh, to, to not be part of the hustle bustle of the world. We, 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 we chill out. And uh, I, I remember admitting to him that I'd been a rather neglectful husband and father because I'd locked myself in a room and read a book all afternoon. Um, and, and his response really, really caught me. He said, oh, that, that sounds really, really good. Um, I, I wish I could do the same, but, I, you know, I've got all these responsibilities. And as we talked further, he said, yeah, I... I had, to, I had to wash all three of my cars, and uh, I, I have this building project going on, and I'm buying this land, and, uh, and you know, work's busy. And, and he went through the, this list of things, and I, 
you know, we, we laugh at that because, because almost it's ridiculous. You think, well, it's obvious, you know. But it's really sad. I felt really sad for him because this, this guy who, in the world's standards, was quote-unquote successful uh, was being robbed of some of God's greatest gifts to us. He, you know... He, he, in the world's eyes, he was wealthy, he's successful in his work, he's, he's got a young family, you know, everything that you would look at and say, there is a successful man. And yet he was unable to enjoy some of the most simple blessings that God gives, gives us. And so, when we make our self-made kingdoms in life, they can rob us of the blessings that God gives, the blessings of peace and joy and rest and things like that, they, they take away when we, when we build our self-made kingdoms. There is a freedom in denying ourselves things that we don't actually need, things that actually bring more strife than joy to us. There's a freedom in denying ourselves from that. Let me tell you another story. Um, I can't claim credit for this one. Um, there, was a, there was once a man, and he was, he was walking through a field. And as he was walking through this field, uh, he, he spotted something out the corner of his eye, just a, just a shiny something, and he went and investigated. And as he investigated the ground, he, he found something of great value, some, some treasure. And he, he dug down further, and he found this, this great stash of treasure beyond any imaginable worth in the ground. But, oh no, there's a problem because he doesn't own this field. Uh, and the law at the time is it belongs to the person whose land it is. So what does he do? He, he goes and he buries the treasure. He buries the treasure. Uh, and then he, he walks off home and he decides... I need, I need to get that field. I need to get that treasure. So I'm going to go and I'm going to sell everything that I belong. So he sells his house. He sells his car. He sells his bike. He sells anything that is of any value uh, to people. And you can hear it, can't you? You can imagine the comments that he gets from his friends and his family, around, or I can at least, and friends and family around him, saying, what are you doing? Are you sure it's worth it? Th this sounds a bit irresponsible to me. Have you thought this through? Um, what about your children? What about your family? And all these other excuses and things that are, that are distracting him. But no, he's he knows what he needs to do, and he sells all of this stuff. And then he goes to the owner of the field, and he makes an offer that he can't possibly refuse. And he buys this field, and he takes great joy and satisfaction in knowing that he has won this treasure. He's bought this treasure. I've used a bit of artistic license there, but that's, that's a story that Jesus told to describe what the kingdom of God is like. What should our attitude towards the kingdom of God be like? This guy gives up everything to gain something which is of infinitely, infinite more value. So when we talk about denying ourselves, we need to know that we're denying ourselves for something better, something greater than we can possibly hope for or imagine. And when Jesus talks about us pursuing the kingdom of God... He doesn't leave room for us to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. 
I found this really hard to, to, to take this week. But he doesn't. Um, there are a couple of other examples, but Jesus puts it pretty bluntly to various people in the Scriptures. There's a, there's a rich man in Mark 10 and in, and in other Gospels who, who comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he explains how he's followed all these commands, and Jesus says that's great. And even says in the, in the passage, I love this, it says, and Jesus loved him. And then he goes on to say, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you've got and, and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And the, the young man goes away sad because he's got all this wealth and he, he can't let go of it. Jesus says, it's really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. It can be a barrier. It can stop them from entering the kingdom of heaven. But in case you think I'm having a go at rich people, there are other people that... that that Jesus goes on about. In Matthew 8, there's a couple of people that come to him, uh, and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you, this one guy says. And he says, there's, there's no comfy place here. This isn't a comfortable ride. You know, animals have places to sleep. The Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to rest his head. Don't think this is going to be easy. There's another guy that he says, come and follow me. And the guy says, yeah, yeah, I will, but I'll go and, I'm, I've got to go and bury my father first. And we would say, well, yeah, that's reasonable. Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. Wow, it's hard words, that is. That's a hard challenge. But Jesus is deadly serious about this. You want, to, you want the kingdom of God? You want to follow in my footsteps? Deny yourself, and you, you'll find the kingdom. You'll come and find the kingdom. So, so my first point is this, that self-made kingdoms rob us. They rob us. Denying ourselves to gain God's kingdom gives back. And we gain back some of the greatest blessings that we can, we can hope for or imagine from God. Secondly, I want to touch on about the cross. Jesus says, pick up your cross. And I, I think sometimes we don't remind ourselves how... Um, Strange how inappropriate the cross is. I have this funny little, I don't know, imagined story in my mind of Jesus before he comes down to earth, having this conversation, this, this PR angel decides to come and give him a visit. And he says, right, Jesus, we need to talk about what your symbol is going to be after you've done your, your work on earth. Uh, you know, we've got uh, fish, we've got um, doves, we could even sort of reshape the rainbow so it makes a J shape. Um, and he says, no, no, I've been thinking about this. We'll, we'll go with the cross. And, and you kind of see everyone sort of take a gasp and the, 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 um, the, the angel think, that's a good idea. No, no, we're going to go with the cross. It's a bit like us today saying, we're going to have a symbol of a hangman's noose or an electrocuting chair. It's the same sort of thing. We forget what the cross symbolized. The cross was a brutal criminal's death. That's what it was. Um, I, don't, I don't need to, many of you know this, I don't need to go over it much at all, but it was painful, it was slow, you drowned in your own bodily fluids, it broke your legs. Um, it was a painful, slow, inefficient way to die. And it was for the lowest uh, criminals that you could find. That was the cross. And 
I'm not sure there's much that matches it in terms of a, a form of execution for its brutality in the history of our world. But as well as the brutality, the thing that we forget is the shame that was attached to the cross. You know, if you think about what Jesus went through, they, they stripped him pretty much naked. Some dispassionate soldiers who might as well have just been doing a, another regular duty nailed him to the cross and hung him there. They put a sign across his head that was meant to be a, a, a mocking joke. Here is the king of the Jews. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. And, and, and not only that, but there were crowds. It was a spectator sport. People came all over and, and watched. You had the, the, the people who were like, oh, I told him so, he, he shouldn't have done that. You have the people who were his cynics who said, oh, yeah, you see, he could save others, but let's see him save himself. You had soldiers who were casting lots to share out his clothes, all while he was hanging there on the cross. It was this shameful thing to happen for some, someone's life, for someone to be hung on the cross. It was public. It was not hidden away. And you know, you see in the Bible, in the New Testament, how much the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews that, that, that Paul was trying to, to speak to and others were trying to speak to. Because they understand the cultural context. How can their Messiah be hung on a cross? Really? It was a real stumbling block. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to the crowd, pick up your cross. They would have understood exactly what the cultural reference to a cross was. And he's saying ultimately, don't just deny yourself, die to yourself. Die to yourself. And the thing is, with us being Christians, we stand out in this world. A bit like the cross that Jesus took, and it stands out. It's, it, it, it's slightly awkward. It's, it's slightly difficult to, to, to reconcile with this faith that we have in Jesus who loves us and, and brings us life and freedom. You know, he, he takes the cross and he gives it a completely new meaning. It's the same is true with our lives. We are called to live this public life of self-denial. Denial of the world and the things that it offers us in favor of seeking after God and his kingdom. And it doesn't make sense to people. We look strange to people. You know, I've lost count of the amount of work situations I've been in where people cannot get their head over the idea that I wouldn't pursue more wealth or I wouldn't pursue more status or I wouldn't pursue more stuff. It doesn't make sense to them because surely that's what life's about. Accumulation, self-built kingdoms. But it's not. And so I want to say that picking up our cross means accepting that we're different. People won't accept us, not all of them. People won't understand us, not all of them. That's quite all right. People didn't understand Jesus. People still don't understand Jesus, not all of them. So my second, second point is, pick up your cross. Don't worry about what other people think. It's okay. My third point is this. Pursue Jesus, not his stuff. 
I wonder why you're a Christian. Ask myself this question this week. What am, what am I hoping for? What are you hoping for? Um, is it to be remembered? Uh, making a difference? A great ministry? Uh, eternal life? Place in heaven? This could go on, I'm sure. There, there are other reasons. Why, why, are we a, why are we Christians? In other words, what, what is our heart's desire? What's our heart's desire? I want to read you a, a passage from Philippians. And the context of this is that Paul is in prison writing to the Philippians. He's, um, uh, and, and greater theologians in this room than me can confirm this or, or, or deny it, but I'm pretty sure that this is, he's in Rome, he's not going to get out of this. Like, he's going to die. Um, and he sort of knows this. He sort of implies it when, he, when he's writing this letter. Um, he, he's not sure. He, 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 might, he might still remain, but he knows that that's definitely on the cards. And so that's the context of him writing this. And listen to what Paul says. This is uh, 1 Philippians uh, 18 to 24. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Wow. It's a really hard decision I've got to make, this is Paul speaking. Do, do I live or do I die? I mean, to, to be honest, death looks really good because I get to be with Jesus. How many of us have that that mindset, I don't most of the time. How many of us could honestly say, wow, that, that option looks favorable because I get to be with Jesus? What's Paul's agenda? It's not, it's not eternal life. I don't believe that that's, that's what his heart's desire is. It's not a place in heaven and it's not a ministry or being remembered. It's Jesus his, his heart's desire is to be with Jesus. And you and I would look at that and say, well, okay, but that means eternal life. That means heaven. It means, you know, blessing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a byproduct. But his heart's desire, what he wants, is to be with Jesus. And, you know, this is repeated again and again with various different people in the New Testament, uh, people who've written the New Testament, it's really clear that what they care about is Jesus, their relationship with Jesus. That is at the center of who they are and everything that they do and everything that they believe in and everything that they hope for spans out of that relationship with Jesus. Let me read you another passage. I, I long held to the, to the belief that this is probably the scariest bit of scripture that I could possibly read. So... Um, you might agree with me, I don't know, but this is what Jesus says. Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Just let that sink in for a second. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's a hard word. That's hard. But God, I did all these ministries. People were healed. People became Christians. I didn't know you. I didn't know you. We've got to be really careful that our heart's desire, what we care about more than any of those things, is our relationship with Jesus. Is our relationship with Jesus. And if the world is robbing you of time to spend building your relationship with Jesus, if church is robbing you of your time, to spend building relationship with Jesus, then you prioritize your relationship with Jesus. That is where life comes from. That is where fulfillment comes from. We're called to pursue Jesus, not his stuff. I'll close with this. I, please hear me when I say this. I know I started with this. I have found this so hard to prepare for because it is such hard words. These are hard words. Um, and I have become convinced that on our own, there is no way we can do them. Just isn't. I remember praying this all through the week. I can't do this, God. Let alone stand up and tell you, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. And the sense that I got was, you're not meant to do this on your own. This is not you going solo. This is us together. This is us with Jesus being empowered by his Holy Spirit. What I love about Jesus as a leader and as a man is that he leads by example. Nothing he asks us to do, he hasn't been willing to do himself. And... Um, I won't read it now, but I, I recommend you check out Philippians 2, 5 to 14. It's a, it's a great bit of scripture where Paul succinctly puts what Jesus did in coming down, dying on the cross, and racing to life. Um, but I would believe, putting into my own words, that ultimately Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, you want to come where I'm going? Then follow my example. I'm a king of heaven, yet denied myself and became a peasant man. Deny yourself. I am worthy of all worship, honor, and praise, but I've chosen a brutal and shameful cross to kill your sin. Pick up your cross. I love and eagerly pursue my Father. I trust him completely. Follow me. I'm going to, um, I'm going to close in prayer. And then I'll hand back to Graham.
I'm going to pray for myself, and I, I encourage you to pray and, and echo the words that, that, that I'm praying if, if, you, if, you, if you agree with them. Jesus, I can't do this. This challenge is too much. It is beyond my capability to do this. And Lord, when I run out, you begin. When I surrender and say, I'm not strong enough, I don't have enough resource, I don't have enough willpower, I don't have enough of myself to do this, you say, you're not meant to. I'm here. Lord, along with this challenge of denying ourselves, picking up our crosses and following you, I pray that you would bring your comfort now as well. That we would recognize that you are with us through everything. You never abandon or forsake us. You never leave us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this morning, we wouldn't carry heavy burdens of challenge, but we would rejoice in the fact that you empower us, that you are with us, that you make a way. We pray that our lives would glorify you. I pray that my life would glorify you. I pray that my heart's desire would be to be with you, to build relationship with you, to be where you are, to hear what you say, to do what you ask of me. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.